Well, again, it is my joy to worship God with you, and now it's my privilege to open up God's Word with you as we uh, start in this series. Uh, six years ago, when we were moving back from the Czech Republic uh, to come back to the States to care for Jennifer's father, uh, we were wrestling with what we, we would do with our lives. So what would we be when we grow up? And so uh, I thought, well, I've, I've been a pastor. I could try maybe do that again. And I applied to uh, many, many different churches that, that had open pastorate positions. Most of them ignored me. Uh, but a few of them uh, interviewed me, offered me jobs in places like New Jersey and uh, Tucson. And, and I wasn't feeling that so much. And so uh, eventually I said, we want to be actually closer uh, we were looking at some ones in Colorado. And so I uh, actually went through uh, an interview process with one in, from my hometown and uh, went like five, six, seven interviews meeting with them all. And, and uh, at the end, it was just time for them to make a decision. And so the, the head of the search committee uh, met with me and he just said, you know, Mark, we just don't think you're ready for this. Uh, and, and I was like, okay, tell me a little bit more about that. And as we had coffee uh, and he was explaining, he actually uh, pivoted in the middle of that conversation. He's like, actually, here's the truth. I do, we do think you're ready. We just want to have a unanimous decision on the, the board. And there's one guy on the search committee that, that says that he doesn't think that you uh, preach the gospel. And I almost spit out my, my coffee at that moment. And I was like, what? Uh, he, yeah, he doesn't think you're evangelistic enough. I'm like, yeah, I, I've been a missionary for like 15 years at this point. Um, well, what, what, do, what do you mean? He's like, well, I, I just don't know. Well, why don't you meet with him and, and maybe you guys can work it out. It's like, okay, cool. So I had coffee with this guy and uh, I was like, tell me uh, about why you don't think uh, I preach the gospel. And then he began to explain. Well, he's like, well, I'm just, I'm just an old Southern Baptist. And, and he said, you know, I just want, I just want you to... Uh, sh- preach the gospel at the end of every sermon. I said, ah, here's what you want. You want me to have, at the end of every sermon, you want me to have everyone bow their heads and close their eyes, right? He's like, yes. And then uh, just kind of give that, that invitation so that people can kind of become undercover Christians and slip up their hands and accept Jesus in their seat. No one else knows, but in that moment, they'll, they'll come in. He's like, yes, exactly. You want me to have them pray to ask Jesus into their heart. He's like, exactly. I said, yeah, you know I don't do that. And he's like, well, exactly. This is why I don't think you should be our pastor. I'm like, that's fair. I, I don't want to at this point, but... Um, <laughs> I just said, you know, I understand what you're saying. The, the gospel is a call to people that I don't believe. Uh, but, but this language of ask Jesus into your heart, actually, that's not even in the Bible. You want me to do something that's not even in the Bible? Uh, There's that language of like, well, just pray a prayer and then you're, you're in in this way. That, that's not even in the Bible either. But, but the Bible does say a lot about the gospel. And I try to preach the gospel in every single sermon. The gospel is far deeper and richer than that. But uh, he really wasn't listening to any of that. But, but I, 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 I came out of that just with the conviction like, wow, I dodged a bullet, one. But, but two, man, the, the gospel is so rich and deep. And that comes from from my understanding of this book that we're about to go through over the next six months. 
the, 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 uh, we call it the gospel according to Paul. Uh, Romans is all about the gospel. And, and uh, when, I remember when I first read this book as a new believer at 18 years old, it, it was like the, every verse and every chapter was just jumping, leaping off the page in its depth and its majesty as Paul sets out the gospel and, and shows us all the intricacies and the beauty of it. It's my favorite book. But, but I also, in 20 years of being a pastor, have never preached through this book because I'm afraid. I'm afraid because it's so rich that, that I will mess it up. And so I've dabbled in it here and there, but, but, but I was like, man, I can't do it. I'm going to mess it up. Until finally, uh, I, I read Second Peter 3.16, where Peter says, Paul writes some things that are hard to understand. I was like, there you go. See, even Peter is like, Paul is difficult at times. Well, if that's the case, then hey, let's just let's not be afraid. We'll we'll uh, we'll, we'll mess it up some points along the way, but nevertheless, we'll, we'll dig in and see the richness and depth of the gospel. But you might be saying, "Well, Mark, I already know the gospel. Can't we move on? Can we go to the the, the, the greater things in, in the Christian faith?" And and one of the points of this book is that the gospel is not the ABCs of the Christian life. It's the A to Z. It is the spoke by which everything comes back to. And so um, this book is written for, for unbelievers, but it's written for believers as well. Did you notice that Paul is writing to the church that believes the gospel in Rome? And he says, what? I want to preach the gospel among you because I, I want to encourage your faith. So, so there's the first lesson is that the gospel is something not for uh, maybe if we get some unbelievers in this room, and we, we probably do have some, and it is for you, but it's for all of us to renew our hearts and our minds to the truth of what's ultimately true in this world. So, so that's one of the reasons we're going to go through this book over the next six months. Uh, the, the, the other reason is that everyone in this room and everyone who's ever lived is a theologian. But like you all have thoughts about God. And A.W. Tozer said, what you think about when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And the question is, are you a good theologian or a bad theologian? And, and those have eternal consequences. And so uh, Romans is a theology-rich book, and so we want to uh, be good theologians. Uh, another reason is uh, that, that if you study church history at all, the book of Romans has more than any other book uh, just absolutely transformed church, the church in, in so many ways. Uh, I think of Augustine, who's maybe the greatest thinker in, in the history of the world. Uh, he was a, a licentious, uh, adulterous, had a kid out of, had a kid out of wedlock, uh, a philosopher. He would debate anybody. He was really sharp. But, but uh, he, he, went to, he moved to Milan in, in Italy, and he heard Ambrose preach the gospel, and it messed with him. And as he was walking out, he, he was walking along the road, and he heard uh, on the other side of a garden wall some children singing a children's song, and they said, tole lege, tole lege. And it translates, take up and read, take up and read. And so he heard in that the Spirit of God, and he, uh, he opened up the Bible, and he just he did what you should never do. He just opened it up and put his finger on in the, the, the book of Romans, in Romans 13, and, and his life was, was transformed. And he became one of the greatest defenders, explainers of the gospel the world has ever seen, so that others would often go back and lean heavily on his teaching. I, I think of uh, Luther, Luther, who was a young Augustinian monk who was striving, striving with all of his might to, to be righteous before God. 
And, and the more he tried, the more depressed he got, and the more he, he, he strived, the more angry he got at God because he knew that God's standard was perfection and that he could never quite get there. And so he, he felt like he stood condemned. He, he says it, it was as if he was uh, standing on, on the top of a huge cathedral in the bell tower and, and he was falling. And as he was falling down the bell tower, uh, he was asked to uh, teach through the gospel uh, or the gospel of Paul, the book of Romans. Uh, and as he began to teach and as he came to the passage that we're going to look at later on here today, uh, he reached out and it is as if to grab the rope on the way down to break his fall. He not only breaks his fall, but in so doing, he rings the bell and wakes up half of Christendom in that moment because of the book of Romans. Uh, Calvin said that the book of Romans is the entrance to all the storehouse of the treasure of God. So, so it has this rich, deep tradition. Uh, I, my prayer is that we as a church over the next six months would, would have what, what Luther described as a breakthrough. That, that there would be a, a, an understanding, a love for, and embracing the gospel like we've never had before in this church. And so uh, with that, let's go ahead and look at our passage today. This is the introduction. Uh, this is Paul introducing himself. He knows some of the people that are in the church in Rome because they've gone on ahead of him. We know that from the very last chapter when he says, greet all these people that I know. Uh, but, but he's really introducing himself uh, to, a, to, to a small degree when he says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Or that word servant means slave. Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. He actually has a very short introduction to who he is, and, and he, he's, what he's going to do in the first six verses is really, if you think of it as a book, which it is, as a table of contents. And so we'll have the table of contents, and, and all these things are going to be unpacked and explained and, and celebrated and, and, and dug into throughout the next 16 chapters and the next six months for us. But I want us to look for, first at the table of contents, and then, and then in verses 16 and 17 is what's known as as the thesis, the thesis of the entire book of Romans, the, the thing that has transformed the world, the thing that transformed Luther uh, is, is there. But let's look at the table of contents. First of all, he says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. So the first thing we see that, that the gospel uh, is good news. That's what it means. Uh, it is euangelion. Uh, it, it is this idea that um, first century emperors, if they had conquered a battle in some far off or, or near land, and they had won a great victory and secured peace and prosperity and, and safety for the people, the, the emperor would then send out ang- angeloi. Angeloi are messengers. We get the word angels because angels are messengers. They would send out angelois to proclaim the euangelion, the good news. So they would run and they would go. They would ride horses. They'd go to every town and just announce, here's what the emperor's done. Here's the news. The battle has been won. There's safety. There's security. There's peace and prosperity. Let's celebrate. And they would shout for joy. Yes, we can live in peace. We, we can live in prosperity. We, we can do all that. It's just news. Now, this is very important because it's good news and not good advice. 
Good advice is what religions give you. They say, if you do this, avoid these things and go after these things, maybe your life will turn out in the end and, and you'll do well. But we all know that even in the, the, the good commands of the Lord that we have, we don't obey and we don't follow. And so it wasn't more good advice to follow that we would fail on. It was simply a proclamation. Here's what God has done. This is the gospel. Rest in that. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to win the battle. The battle's already been won. So gospel, this this word is going to be used more in the book of Romans per verse than any other book of the Bible by far. This book is ultimately about the gospel. Number two, the gospel is rooted in God's historic promises. Look what it says, which he, God, promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And again, Paul is setting up all that he's going to unpack. But, but what you need to see here today is that this isn't, wasn't a new idea. This wasn't, hey, this would be cool if God did this. No, uh, from eternity past, God had planned the gospel. He had planned for a time to come. And he would, uh, in, in different ways, in different uh, means, he would point his people to a day when the good news would finally and fully arrive. And so if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, it is bigger than you. In fact, uh, the call to follow Jesus is to walk away from your little story and enter into the massive story of God's redemptive history in the universe. And some of us don't like that because we want to be the star of the story, but I promise you to, to play a bit role in God's massive story is much better for your soul than, than being the star. God is the star. And from eternity past, he's planned this, and he sent prophets, and he's had scriptures written. Uh, I thought of a few ways that, that this, I mean, it's on every page of the Old Testament. Jesus said uh, to the Pharisees who were persecuting him in the book of John, he said, uh, you, you test me, you say you know the scriptures, but the scriptures testify about me. Jesus says the whole point of the Old Testament ultimately is to point to the gospel, to point to Jesus. So I think of Genesis chapter 3 in the fall. And God says to the serpent, you'll strike his heel, but he will crush your head. The gospel is that someday a, a, a snake crusher is going to, going to come. In Genesis chapter 12, he comes to Abram and calls this pagan idol worshiper out of the land, not for anything good in him, but because of the goodness of God. And he says, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. You're going to bless the whole world through you. You're going to be a blessing to the whole world. It's pointing to the gospel. I think of the Passover when God's people were enslaved in Egypt and under the bondage of slavery. And God says, I'm going to send a destroying angel, but you're going to take the blood of the lamb and put it on your doorpost. And the Passover lamb is going to come and spare you. And I'm going to lead you through the Red Sea. I'm going to take you from the land of bondage and slavery into the promised land flowing full of milk and honey. That's a picture of the gospel. The gospel is seen in the entire sacrificial system of the Old Testament. As, as every bull and goat and sparrow and every other offering that was made up and all the blood was shed, it was all pointing to a moment when a, a perfect sacrifice to atone for sin would one day come and finish all of this. It was pointing to the gospel. It's pointing to the gospel when, when we see the tabernacle and the temple. It is the place of God's presence among his people. And John chapter 1 tells us that Jesus came and tabernacled among us. It was pointing to the gospel. And I could go on and on and on. All of them are, are shadows pointing to the substance. It, it is uh, the suffering servant in Isaiah that says, by his wounds we will be healed. 
and our sins will be washed white as snow. Page after page. This is what Paul is saying, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. All of those were just shadows pointing to the substance that is the gospel. So, number three, the gospel is more than a what. It is ultimately a who. This is what he says concerning God's son who was descended from David according to the flesh. Again, the promise to David was there will be someone from your line that will be king forever, but he will be of the flesh. He will be truly human. So he is truly human, but he's also truly God. Verse four, and was declared to be the son of God in power according to to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So this is ultimately rooted, the gospel is ultimately rooted in the person, the work, the life, death, burial, resurrection, reigning and ruling of King Jesus. And so that's where Paul eventually leads to naming this person, naming the gospel, Jesus Christ our Lord, which leads to the next part of the table of conscience, which is the purpose of the gospel. If Jesus is Lord and King of kings, he is worthy of all honor. He's worthy of our glad submission and of our worship and, and, and whatever he says goes. So it says, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. To bring about the obedience of faith. Now, Paul is not saying that uh, the, the gospel is that you believe this and you do this. He's saying that when you come into line and you receive the good news and you recognize Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords, you gladly submit your life uh, and you uh, follow him in obedience to whatever he commands because he's good and he's for us and he has proven that by his resurrection from the dead. And so uh, Luther would say, uh, it is faith alone that saves us, but, but that faith never remains alone. Anyone who has really received and tasted the gospel there is, uh, uh, that, that comes to them, there is also a desire in them that desires grows to come about the obedience of faith. So see, the gospel is making all things right. We were intended to live in right relationship with our creator and God. But we, in rebellion, turned our backs and sin entered the world, death entered the world. But the gospel is reversing all that. You are now welcomed back into the kingdom of God, adopted as sons and daughters, and with joy you walk in obedience to the Father. Well, the next one is uh, the gospel is a calling. Oh, the gospel is a calling to belong to Jesus. So the purpose of the gospel is to bring about obedience of faith, but, but the calling is to belong to Jesus. Verse 16, including you who were called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a calling. It is a calling that even in this room, if, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, that, that it is a calling to you to say, Come into the family of God. Turn from your old way and turn to Jesus. Believe the gospel. Trust the gospel. So that's the table of contents. And again, we went through that all very quickly because we're going to go through that slowly over the next six months. But in verses 16 and 17, we see the, the thesis. 
I'll read the whole thing. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, and he quotes Habakkuk 2.4, The righteous shall live by faith. This is the central premise of the entire book of Romans. We, we would say of the, of the entire New Testament. Verses 16 and 17. And Paul starts off in this, this idea that he is not ashamed, that, that simply this. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Seems like a, a strange place to start. Unless there was some temptation to be ashamed. Unless there were some people that would identify themselves as followers of Jesus, but with their words and their action, that they show that they are actually ashamed of the gospel. You say, that's strange. But it it actually shouldn't be that strange because the gospel first comes as an offense to anyone and everyone. It it is good news, but it's only good news in light of the terribly bad news that precedes it. So if you're a doctor and you uh, do some tests and you come out to the patient and you say, hey, I I have great news for you. I have good news. I have you on Gellion for you. They're like, what are you talking about? Well, I think we're going to be able to get the tumor out of your head. You're like, excuse me? Yeah, we're, we're going to, it's okay, it's good news. We're going to take the tumor out, it'll be awesome. Like, can we back up to the tumor part? Like, well, what do you, I feel fine. I, 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 don't, I don't know if I believe you. Oh no, it's good news, I'm going to take the tumor out. See, in that, it, it doesn't land as good news in that moment. It, it lands like, oh my gosh, this changes everything. And, and when the gospel comes, it has to first acknowledge, hey, there's a tumor. And it's leading to death. And if you do nothing, it will kill you. And so uh, it first hits us as an offense. And, it, and if you've never been offended by the gospel, you may not understand the gospel. Paul says it's foolishness to the Greeks and a stumbling block to the Jews. That, that everyone in every culture, the first receiving, hearing of the gospel is, is an offense. And so there is this temptation to be uh, offended or ashamed of the gospel. We can think of it in some, some categories in our day. It's offensive to the moral and the religious. It's offensive. It was offensive to the Apostle Paul before he had uh, this encounter with the Lord Jesus because he was a student of Gamaliel, a Jew of Jews. He was like, uh, he was like Navy SEALs level, you know, uh, uh, Pharisee. Like he was up there. And he trusted in his righteousness. And he, he did great in far, as far as humans can do. Uh, but it was the gospel that offended him, but eventually rescued and redeemed him. But, but moral and religious people are offended by the gospel because when they hear that it is only by the sheer mercy and grace of God that anyone comes to the Father and that you get no spiritual extra credit by your own works, they're offended because they're like, well, we did all this. We should get a little bit more than those people that are not moral or not religious. And the gospel says no. It is only by the grace and mercy of God alone. The gospel offends the kind of the modern mindset that, that believes in the innate goodness of all people, that, that people will eventually work, their way, work themselves out. And the gospel says, no, Jesus had to die and Jesus had to shed his blood. And it's only by the blood of Jesus that anyone gets saved. Acts 4.12, only by the name of Jesus does, does a person come to faith. And so it's offensive because like, no, we believe there's many ways up the mountain to God. And the gospel explicitly says, no, there's not. 
There is only one way. The gospel is offensive to the autonomous self that, that says, man, I, I can, I'm good enough. I, I don't really need someone to die for me. I, I can make my own way. And in the end, uh, God will accept me because I'm sincere in whatever I happen to believe. The gospel never says sincerity is a measure of coming into the kingdom of God. It's only by grace through faith. We'll see in a minute. The gospel is offensive because it says that Jesus came as a servant who suffered and died and that anyone that would follow him would take up their cross and follow the same pattern. Peter says that he has given us this example to follow in him. So the gospel is offensive to anyone that has the idol of safety, security, and comfort when it says, come, lay all that aside and follow me and enter a life of servanthood and suffering. It's offensive. You say, well, okay, I get all that, but, but I'm here. Uh, surely I'm not a f- ashamed of the gospel this morning, Mark. And I, I, I kind of thought that too until I read Michael Bird's commentary. Michael Bird's a theologian and uh, scholar in Australia, and he wrote this about this passage. He says, I'm ashamed of the gospel when I'm afraid to tell it. Who have you told the gospel to in the last year? Are you ashamed of the gospel? I'm ashamed of the gospel when I'm too intimidated to uphold it. I'm ashamed of the gospel when I'm too lazy to teach it. I'm ashamed of the gospel when I'm too selfish to live a life worthy of it. I'm ashamed of the gospel when I make other things the center of fellowship. I'm ashamed of the gospel when I affirm any political, economic, or social position that denies what the Lord Jesus taught about the poor, the orphan, the sick, the elderly, and the, or the homeless. I'm ashamed of the gospel. Now, keep in mind, he's Australian, so I don't have an agenda here. But he says this, I'm ashamed of the gospel when I make excuses for the unchristian behavior of my political heroes. I'm ashamed of the gospel when I spend more money on chocolate than charity. I'm ashamed of the gospel when my social life becomes more important than my church life. I'm ashamed of the gospel when I spend more time combing my hair than active in prayer. He says, if I, like Paul, were not ashamed of the gospel, that implies maintaining a robust evangelical faith centered on the cross and living as if the only opinion that counts is what the Lord Jesus thinks. For it is before him that we shall give an account of ourselves. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why is he not ashamed of the gospel? He says, I'll tell you why I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God for salvation. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because I know it's the only power of God for salvation. Notice he says, it doesn't usher in the power or it doesn't tell us about God's power, but the gospel itself is the power of God for salvation. When it is preached, when it is heard, when it is contemplated, when it is meditated on, uh, that there is something that God uses in that gospel to bring dead people to life, to open up blind eyes, to stir dead hearts and, and make them alive. The gospel... And only the gospel can do that. And so Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because I know what it can do. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone. He says to everyone, this is a gospel that has the power for everyone. And, And we talked about this last week. The commission is to take this gospel to everyone, to every corner of the planet. And the great shame of our day is that it has, that there are 3 billion people on the planet that can be born, 
grow up, live their life, have their children grow old, get sick and die, and never hear the gospel. So, so as to never have access to the power of God for salvation. This is a great tragedy. But Paul says, I'm not ashamed because it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. There is a limiting factor. Who believes? So, so it, it has to be received by faith. He says to the Jew first and also to the Greek, verse 17. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. What, what does that mean? It's, it's very important throughout the book of Romans. What is he talking about the righteousness of God? Well, he could mean uh, that, that in the gospel, we see that God is holy and just and, and perfect and pure and all those things. That, that is actually true of who God is, but that's not what Paul is meaning here by the righteousness of God. But what he means here is the righteousness of God is the, the righteousness of God not only is revealed in who God is, it is credited to us on our account. So, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. What, what is that? He, here's what that is. God is perfect. He is holy. He is just. And no one, no one will ever go into his presence without being perfectly holy, perfectly just, perfectly righteousness. So we got a problem there. And this is the problem that, that Luther wrestled with. Man, I... No matter what I, even if I did it from this day forward, everything that I've done in my life to this point has not been that, so I'm, I'm lost. There, there's no hope. And then Paul says he, he beat on this verse. He pounded on this verse. Or, I mean, Luther said he pounded on this verse. And eventually he came to recognize and realize what God is talking about in the righteousness of God is not his righteousness just in and of himself, but his righteousness given to us. So in the gospel, you're not just forgiven of all your sins. That would be amazing and worthy of our prayer, but it wouldn't last very long because all that would do would wipe our slates clean and then it would still be on us to perform. And we've seen how we do that. We don't do that very well. And the gospel is not, hey, uh, you know, I'm not perfect. I'm just forgiven. That's not the gospel. It's not that you're not perfect, just forgiven. It's that you were on death row and as they were leading you to the electric chair, someone stops and says, hold up just a minute. And instead, John Stott puts it this way. You're on death row, headed to the electric chair and, and they stop you. And instead of taking you into that room, they put the Congressional Medal of Honor on you. And now all the accolades and glory that comes with that and praise that comes with that is credited to you and you walk free. The gospel is the great exchange. Jesus in his perfect life, death, burial, and resurrection now gets credited to you. So that when we go before the Father, we go on his righteousness alone and we are perfect. We are perfect. We, we, we can say, we, can say we, we did all, all those things Jesus did, they're credited in my account. All those people he healed, that's to my account. All the perfect obedience to the Father, that's in my account. All of that's in my account now. And so I get to walk like Jesus into the very throne room of God. This is the righteousness of God. Paul, Luther said this. He says, then I grasped the righteousness of God. That righteousness by which the, through grace and sheer mercy God justifies us by faith. Thereupon I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. I broke through. 
And as I had formerly hated the expression, the righteousness of God, I now began to regard it as my dearest and most comforting word. All right, let's, let's close this up here. Verse 17. For in it, the righteousness of God is re- revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Just as the word gospel is essential for us to know throughout this Bible, uh, the word faith is essential for us to know. What does he mean by that? The word is pistis or pisteo in the Greek. And, and it is not what we often think of faith, mental assent. Oh yeah, I believe those things. It, it is much deeper and richer than that. I would maybe translate it active trust. By active trust in Jesus. What does active trust look like? Well, well, one illustration I've shared before and I'll share again is that uh, many years ago when, when we would take teams from Okinawa, to Japan to Thailand, uh, we, we would serve there on a mission team. And then at the end, the first time we went, uh, I took these guys at the very end, the last day we kind of had uh, just a, we, we got to be tourists. And so the, the, these Marines and airmen, they wanted to go bungee jumping in Thailand at 160 feet in the middle of the jungle uh, that, that dips down into like a snake infested pond. So that's, that's what they wanted to do. And uh, I don't love heights. Like this is a little high for me. Uh, but n- nonetheless, I, I was like, yeah, let's do it. And um, so, so we go there. And, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm trying to play it cool because the last thing I want to do is have any evidence going back to my church that I wasn't playing it cool. So, uh, but I'm, but I'm, I'm definitely looking at things, right? I'm like, that's 160 feet up. Okay. I watch a few people jump and I'm like, oh, they do it by the ankle. So you're hanging upside down for a while. Um, it's great. And I'm like, you know, this is a developing country, guys. Like, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that they have all the regulations that they need in place in this moment. But, but I tried to play it cool. And I, they had videos of people doing it. They had pictures. And, and, and all those things helped me. All those things uh, mentally helped me be convinced that this is going to be okay. It increased, in a sense, my belief. And if I had more time and money and, and really wanted to work this out, I could have maybe brought in some engineers. Be like, hey, can you tell me, is this structurally sound? Tell me about what's the math between, you know, my weight, my body weight, and how long that cord is, and is it going to work? Like, and, and, and an expert could have said, yeah, like, that's going to work. And that would have helped my belief. But it wasn't until I went up on that crane with some Thai guy in the back who I hear pushes you off if you don't go. Uh, with my, my ankles tied together, you have to hop to the edge. Like, you don't, you don't want to hop too much because you've got to be ready. And as your ankles are tied, and you look down, and I see my guys, they're filming me. This is before the iPhone. They're filming me. In that moment, apparently, I, I would rather die than be shamed back at my church. So I had my ankles tied, and I was like, hey, here we go, guys. I hate heights, by the way, but I don't want to die. Uh, I mean, I would rather die than be embarrassed, I guess. And so I eventually, you just go head off, and you go like that. Now, in that moment, when I'm, when I'm right about here, okay, see what I'm saying? Well, when I've committed the center of my gravity, pisteo. That's the only time that I had pisteo faith. I, I committed my will, my whole being, my whole life in that moment to this rubber band, glorified rubber band. I did. I had pisteo faith in that. So you see, when we're invited to believe, it isn't, hey, do you believe Jesus died for your sins and rose again? And be like, yeah, I believe that. It's more, I believe that, and I'm committing 
the center of my gravity, my whole life, my whole will to you in this moment. I'm all in. And this is how you get saved. It is the power of God for salvation for all those who exercise pisteo faith. So, three applications I I just want to take away this morning. Uh, First, I think, and we can do this before we come to this table, just just do some work between you and the Lord. Are you ashamed of the gospel? Have you been ashamed of the gospel? The good news of the gospel is the same way you deal with that sin is the way you deal with all sins. You turn to Jesus in faith and say, I have been ashamed, but by grace through faith, I come to you again. And you come to this table and you take that which represents his broken body and his shed blood. You repent and you say, Lord, I I don't want to be ashamed anymore. Secondly, I want this time to be an invitation for us to go deep. I I believe that God has some some good purposes for our church to to develop us and grow us. And so uh, we'd invite you to just spend some time. Out on the uh, welcome table, we'll have these uh, scripture journals. I only have 20 today, but I'll have uh, a couple hundred or a hundred next week. Uh, But these are just the, the, the book of Romans on the one side, and then there's notes for you to take notes on the other side. Uh, if you get one, that's great. It's our gift to you. Just write your name in it and your phone number. They all look exactly the same. And so if we find it, we'll, we can get it back to you. Uh, but just encourage you to spend some time soaking this. Maybe read it in one setting. Maybe as you read through it, ask the questions that we ask in our gospel communities of the passage. What does this tell me about God? What does this tell me about myself? Is there anything in here that I could apply to my life? And then, is there anyone that I should share this truth with this week, Lord? And you just write those down on the side there. Um, Again, we'll have some more next week. If not, you can go to Amazon, get them yourself. But just commit. Commit to uh, believe that God has good purposes for our whole church and for you in this time. And then finally, I would say, I'm not going to have anyone bow their head or close their eyes and slip up their hand and become an undercover Christian, but the, the gospel is the power for salvation, that even now you can exercise pisteo faith and, and come, and the Bible says you're going to be transferred in that moment from the domain of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the Son God loves. And if you do that, we'd love to talk to you about that. We'd love to come alongside you. <coughs> finally, We do believe God has something for us in this series. We believe that Romans is going to gospelize us, gospelize us, just soak us in the gospel, renew our mind weekly to the truth of what's ultimately true. So it's going to gospelize us, and as it gospelizes us, it's going to center us and and unify us because we have many differences, and, and that's good. We disagree on what's going on in our country. We disagree uh, even on secondary theological issues. But if we come together around the gospel, it will be a unifying, centralizing strength in our church. And then finally, as we work our way through this, the book of Romans is going to send us. It's going to send us. Paul points this out in his letter. In verse 14, he says, I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. See, Paul understood that what he had been given in the gospel was never intended to terminate with him. 
that he had an obligation is as if you were entrusted in, as an employee, here, take this million dollars to the bank and deposit it at, at night. You're entrusted. It's not your money. You, you've, got to, you've got to give an account for it. And so uh, as we soak in the gospel, we realize God isn't just giving us the gospel so we can say, how neat is that? But to send us out to give it to others. To that end, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. Thank you for the gospel that is found in the book of Romans. Lord, I do pray that you would do a great and mighty work as you've done throughout history, that you would do it in our church, that you would gospelize us as a church, that you would teach us to love your word, that you would teach us the obedience of faith, and that you would give us great joy in that process. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.